Well, last week I ended the, uh, the sermon with, with a question. Who are you in the story? And if you read Joshua 2, I think it's very important for us to try to understand that. We start out with Joshua 2 this morning. It says, And Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from, uh, from Shedem. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Now, he's been in this place 40 years ago, so he only picks two. Joshua's learning from, from Moses' mistake where he sent in so many people. Um, and he says, look at one city. We have to get inside. We've got to get past that city. We've got to get inside that city. Uh, we don't know how we're going to take that city. We don't have battering rams. We don't have platforms. We, we don't have any of the typical stuff. Assuming they're going to attack the city, you know, uh, you know, kind of it used to be a, a siege and a starve kind of idea, you know. But Israel has has a lot to learn on how to do battle, but not in in the world's way. So God is not even telling Joshua at this point how it's going to happen. So Joshua does what they did forty years ago. Now I want you to understand something. These two groups don't speak the same language. So it's tough to communicate. It's tough to, to get into society and try to hide if you're not from there. I mean, think about it. As Americans, everywhere we go, we scream American. Did you know Americans wear white socks across the world when most of the world wears colored socks? So they can even tell you're American just by your socks. Same thing with these guys. So the spies are probably not speaking a lot. They're walking around. They're trying to observe. And you have to have on-site spies. You have to have a recon in a sense. So they're going into this country and get through the wall. And at this point in time, Jericho is around 6,500 years old. And even today, it's a thriving city. There's a lot of Arab Christians there today. So you're going to, you know, you're going somewhere and you've got to figure out somehow to conquer this city. This city would have been on you know, military alert, whatever DEFCON 5 or whatever you want to say. They would have understood that the Israelites were just right over the Jordan. And they're sitting there going, okay, the Jordan, we got some time here. The Jordan is, is pretty big, pretty wide. It's at flood stage, so we got about six months to plan here. I mean, the city is in an uproar. Everyone trying to get inside the walls that were outside the walls, trying to plan that. What, what would you do if a million or so people amassed right at the border, you would find protection. You'd want to get inside the city walls. I could imagine that Jericho sent out spies. Go to the Jordan. If they were attacked, how would they do that? And the reports would come back. Dude, they have nothing. They got some swords and some shields, but, but it looks safe. I think we're good. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. So these two spies make it into the city, and they go to this house of this prostitute. Wait a second, what? I mean, this is a little confusing for church people, right? Now, I want you to understand something. These men were not at the house for the same reason other men were at the house. These men were honorable men. Uh, you know, they were there for honorable reasons. Why did they choose this house? Well, we don't know. But this house is in the wall. Now, what they would have is they would have an outer wall that was big enough for chariots and all that to race around on. Then they'd have a space that was big enough for a fight. And then they would have another wall that chariots could run around on. So there's actually two walls side by side with enough space in between to fight. And these walls were thick. They were strong. 
There, you know, and, and you could actually build a house in between these two walls, and that's what a lot of people did. So the ones that were expandable, the ones that were, were the outcasts of, of society, were allowed to build there. Kind of an early alarm system, in a sense. So the word gets around quickly, you know. It says here that the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy on the land. Verse 3, the, so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. This is a very dangerous thing for her to do. And why is she doing this? Well, we learn very quickly here that God is dealing with her. She is taking steps of faith without knowing what they really are. Think about this. All of a sudden, government agents show up. Now, if you've ever got a government letter in the mail, you get all like, oh, well, this is official. Why am I receiving this? Imagine government agents showing up. Their intelligence is very good. Show up, they enter, they start looking around. The soldiers enter. Rahab, what are you doing? Did you know who these men were? And she's probably very scared. And she lies to them. She is not a follower of God at this point. She doesn't understand that God doesn't need her to lie, but this is what she does. She says, yes, the men came to me, but I do not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gates, the men left quickly, and I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. (laughs) You were right, she basically says. They were here. You guys are so good, your intelligence is good, but they're now gone. Verse 6, it says, But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of the flax that she had laid out on the roof. This is risky for these guys also. I mean, they're probably shaking under the stalks. Could you imagine the men's conversation? Hey, what is she saying to them? I don't know. I, I don't speak their language. She's talking to him right now. Oh, it's taking, it's taking way too long. I know, I know, I know. Wait, they're coming in. Be quiet. Should we try to get over the wall? No way. There's, there's no chance. Shh, be quiet. Let's just trust the Lord. Trust the Lord? Look at this woman. <laughs> Look at who we're trusting here. No, 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 no. We have to trust her. But we're trusting the Lord more. God brought us here. Let's trust him. I mean, how did they come to rely on this woman? Verse 7, it says, So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road. It leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as their pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Couldn't you imagine after the soldiers go away, the silence? What did she tell them? Verse 8, it says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof. Now, something is going on here that is not outright explained to us. They're lying under these stalks of of flax. uh, And and why is this significance? Well, we can go there a little bit, not completely, but a little bit, because it's not totally explained that this is what it is about. They would take this flax and they would dry it out and turn it into yarn. And then they would make these cords out of it and dye it into different colors. And you would take one of these cords that has been dyed and boil it with clean cloth, and the whole cloth would basically become that color. 
So you have this woman trying to make more of a respectable living, you know, already taking steps. It won't save her, but she is trying. In verse 9 it says, And said to them, so she goes out and says to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And they're kind of looking at each other. What did she just say? And that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who lived in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. And this was like 40 years ago when you came out of Egypt and and you went to Sihon and Og and and the two kings of the Amorites, uh, you know, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God in heaven above and on earth below. In other words, He is your God. What is going on in this woman's life? She is in the process of changing. In the middle of the spying, you know, they come across this, this lady who, who says, The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. You go back to the original language, she uses the words Yahweh. Yahweh is God, is Adonai. And these guys are looking at each other going, is she a believer? Verse 11, it goes on, When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Man, she is scared, but the Holy Spirit is connecting with her. One thing that we will discover is that the Canaanites have gods, and, and, and all these groups have different, different small gods, you know, and the gods have different names, but it boils down to nature gods. They, they take nature and they start to worship it and call it a god. It's not really a god. But the Jordan River is at flood stage, and they're very happy because a million people are right on the other side. But the word is out. Remember Egypt and the plagues? The plagues involved all the Egyptian gods, and they found out what happened in Sinai. Then all the other battles that they've won, they're sitting there going, okay, this is the, their God is powerful. And she is saying, I figured out something. He's not just the God. He's the God of all gods. In verse 12, it goes on and says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will be, you know, that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. This is amazing. She already has a death sentence because of what she's doing, allowing them to be there. If she gets caught, what what, what do you think would happen if someone reports the uh, 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 the rope hanging out of the window uh, after the soldiers have left? How many of us would have risked our lives to come to God? Some of us have risked risked our relationships by coming to God. Family members don't really want to talk to us now, or friends, or, or some of us have risked our jobs. And this story helps put things in perspective for us. This is a woman risking her life before she even knows God. She's willing to risk it all because she is tired of the life that she is living. Trying to clean up her act. And this is the next step. What is interesting here is that her salvation, it starts out in fear, and she is on the wrong side of the battle. 
You know, coming to God in fear is not always bad. Staying in fear would be what, what would be wrong. But coming to God in fear is not. Many of us, you know, have uh, come to God because, uh, you know, a preacher or a teacher, you know, got to the passages about hell and, and, and you know, they stopped right there and they talked about it and it scared us half to death and, and it got us to come to God. And, and you, know, uh, the, you know, they would say, I don't want to go to hell to you except the Lord. But if we stay right there in our walk, what a tragedy that would be. Because there's so much more there. We go from fear to understanding that God loves us, so we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear life. We don't have to fear all the medical issues. We don't have to fear all these things. You know, we can be wise in how we go about certain things, especially with the coronavirus going on. We can be wise and wear a mask, like if you come to the church and when we gather together for worship, we'll be wearing our mask unless you're unhealthy enough that that you can't wear a mask. And we're not going to sit there and go, well, I want to see the doctor's note. We're going to have enough grace to say, okay, then there must be something up there. But for those who, who go, well, I don't need the mask, but I'm healthy. Well, guess what? You're going to have enough grace to wear your mask. We don't have to fear, but we can be wise. But going back to the story, think about how our view of our earthly father affects our view of our heavenly father. And how we have to allow the Spirit to teach us what a perfect heavenly Father He is. Because our earthly fathers mess up. And we can't allow ourselves to view God as a father figure that's a human father figure. For this woman, there had to be fear. She was a lady of the night. Will your God even accept me? Notice she saves everyone in her family. What is absent? She doesn't name a husband. What is really weird here is this. The woman, I mean, uh, the Lord has plans for this woman. And it was left up to, you know, if it was left up to the tribe, she probably would have never been included in God's plans. Oh, no, 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 not not her. I mean, do you remember what what she did? No, 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 not her. What was her job? Yeah, yeah, not her. We say we love everybody, but when it comes down to it, It's a lot harder than just saying it, isn't it? The Lord gives grace to whom He wants to. Verse 14, our lives for your lives. And they're making a contract here, an agreement here, a covenant. The men assured her, if you don't tell what what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. This is very risky. The gate's already been shut. Now she said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return. Then go on your way. Remember how Joshua said that they were supposed to, to wait three days by the Jordan? It's kind of interesting. Now they're having to hide three days before they can go back. Verse 17 Then the men said to her, This oath you made with us, swear swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied a scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Now what is interesting is they're just looking for something bright, something they can see. 
They have no idea the spiritual application here. They use uh, this bright scarlet rope to get out of the window, a red cord, this window. And she's like, okay, I'm going to hang it in this window. Yes, this window. Unless you brought your father and your, your mother, they go on and say, your brothers and all your family into the house. If anyone goes outside of the house into the street, his blood will be on his head. And we will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in this house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. Verse 20, but if, but if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from this oath. You have made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. I bet she did. I bet she did it quickly. Now, those of us who have studied Passover and Exodus, uh, you know, or take the scarlet cord and and relate it to Jesus and Revelation, we go off on the whole scarlet cord thing. We start to catch on the scarlet cord, the rope throughout the, the Bible. The color scarlet was what was on the doorpost in Egypt. Now, mind you, it was blood, not, not a dye. But whoever was in that house was saved from destruction. And here, a Gentile lady of the night asking for her own personal Passover, in a sense. And what is amazing about God is He gives it to her. In the Old Testament, here's a non-Jewish family being saved by the Jewish God. So we, you know, we connect this with God's plan for, for you know, all along to, to save the whole world, not just the Jews. And for those who, who like to read Isaiah, this takes us right to Isaiah 118. Through your sins are, are like scarlet, or through your skins are, are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God takes a scarlet color. And not only is it associated with sacrifice, but also with sin. It's the brightest color that there is, and he equates it to sin. So our sin is now as bright as it can be. But once I get done with you, you will be beautiful, you'll be clean, not a blemish on you. That when the people see it, they'll be like, wow, look at that. Why is she hanging the scarlet in the window? Well... When we come to God, we need to hang our sin out there for for Him to see. I'm not faking it. It's just out there. People can see it. I'm not hiding it. This woman is a sinner, and God chooses to show her His saving grace. He makes a statement that no matter who you are, even a woman of the night, God can and will cleanse you. Rahab's salvation comes from making a confession of who God really is. And in John, he quotes Jesus saying, If you confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. And here she is saving her whole family. Imagine how her father felt with her being a prostitute. What about her sisters, her brothers, the rest of the family? You've got to wonder if her family would have done the same for her. How did she give them, get them over there? Did she invite them all to dinner? Hey, honey, you know... We've got to go over to your daughter's house Thursday. Verse 22, it says, When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there for three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. 
They went down, you know, down out of the hills and, and forded the, the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. Then they said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. This is exactly what Joshua wanted to hear. This is exactly how Joshua and Caleb felt 40 years before. Could you imagine the conversation? Oh, it's great. Now, now, where, where did you, you get the info so, so we can tell everyone? Well, um, got it from a, a prostitute. <laughs> wait, wait, what did you just say? And one guy's looking at the other guy, you tell him. Well, um, we had to spend the night, so we lodged at a house of a, of a harlot. I mean, Josh was like, what did you just say? Did you say harlot? Tell me this is not true. But Josh, her information was good. Tell me I don't have to go out there and tell them that you said it came from a prostitute. You know what they did to, you know, try to do the Moses 40 years ago, don't you? And I don't even, you know, and I didn't even go to the prostitute's house. What were you thinking? What were you doing? Now, what else happened? Well, she let us down the wall through her window. You mean she saved you? Yeah, Josh, she, she says she saved us. You don't understand. She knows God. Well, wait a minute right there. Are you seriously trying to tell me that a prostitute knows Yahweh? Yes, and she has faith. See, this is amazing. Joshua doesn't even know how he's going to conquer Jericho. And this prostitute seems to know more than him. Now, the coolest thing of the, of the story is this. God saves this lady in chapter 6. But we're only in chapter 2. No one in chapter 2 has any idea the spe- how spectacular this lady's salvation is going to be. Now, first off, of course, there's a whole you know, spiritual aspect of her salvation. But secondly, there's also the physical side, and it is spectacular. The Lord told her to get her family all in this place. Her house is on the wall, safest place in an attack. But what happens to the walls? That comes all tumbling down. And where does the lady live? In the wall. So finally in chapter 6, when God tells the leader what is about to happen, they have this meeting, and you know the spies are there. Okay, guys, the attack is near. You know that how they have two walls. So here's what God is going to do. This is what we're going to do, and this is what God's going to do. We're going to just walk, and God is going to bring down the wall. And they're like, um, um, question, hello, do you remember what we promised to this woman? I mean, not that you haven't heard from the Lord, but this family's already in the wall. God can't kill them now. Imagine Joshua sitting there thinking, has God blown this? Has he, did he forget? And the Lord is up there thinking, I love that they just told her to stay in the wall. This is just perfect. They have no idea I'm going to tear down the wall. Wait to see what happens. You know, later David writes, the name of the Lord is a high tower. The righteous run to it and are saved. Can you imagine Rahab and her family on the day the Israelites attack? All the walls start coming, you know, start coming down. It all shakes. It feels like an earthquake. We have to get out of here. Imagine how much, it, you know, how much faith it took for them to stay in that house in the wall. 
Later, they're cleaning up, and the two spies are searching for Rahab, and, and they stick their, their head out of the wall, and they go, Hello, can somebody come down here and help us? Scarlet cord, remember, hello, scarlet cord, save us, don't kill us. Think about the guys rescuing the women of the night. And this woman going, that's whose house you stayed in? And Rahab is screaming, I'm saved, I'm saved. Teach me to be one of you now. I want to be a church lady in a sense. You have to think that Israel struggled with this woman. But how does God think? Okay, you're lucky to be here. But you're disqualified from any future ministry. I mean, it's obvious. But here's the deal about God. He is so different than how we are. You know those two spies? We don't even know their names. They're irrelevant in a sense. But here's Rahab. Her name is in the Bible and not just here. Go to the New Testament. You'll find her in Hebrews 11.31. She is listed in Hebrews Hall of Faith. In fact, it says, by faith, the harlot Rahab. Wouldn't you love to be called that all your life? For thousands of years, we have, you know, we have nicknames in this church, and here is your name. This is our harlot. I mean, aren't people wonderful? By faith, the harlot Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. We see the heart of God here. God can save everyone who calls on the name of God. She is listed with Abraham, Moses, David, Samson, Solomon, and Samuel, and the harlot Rahab. And that is not the only list that she is in. Have you read Matthew 1.4? And hopefully if you've been at this church, you have. Now, Sean, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, who was, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. God not only saved Rahab, the former prostitute of Jericho, he saved her so completely that the prince of Judah, from the tribe of Judah, under the leadership of Joshua, eventually gave this woman her first son named Salmon. Can you imagine the conversation in the tent that night? Honey, I've, I've made a decision who I'm going to give Salmon to. He, he needs a wife, and I think I've figured it out. I've already talked to the family, and I think we're ready to go. Okay. Well, it's, you remember that lady that was rescued from Jericho? What? What do you mean? Her? It, wasn't she a prostitute? Yeah, but have you noticed her walk with the Lord? And they gave Salmon a wife. And Rahab and Salmon had a son. And name, and name was Boaz. And Boaz met a, met a gal named Ruth. And this is one of my favorite stories of the Bible. And they had a son named Obeb and, and, and who, who had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had David. And it goes on and on and on all the way to Moses. I mean, all the way to Mary and, and, and Joseph, who had a son named Jesus. And Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. What God is trying to say here is this. Though your skins may be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. I have a hope for you, God says. 
I have a plan for you, God says. I have a future for you, God says. God sees us for who we can be, not for who we are. So I ask a simple question at the beginning of this this, uh, message today. And I'll ask it again as we finish. Who are you in the story? Ask God who you are in the story. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your saving grace. We thank you for for showing us people like, uh, uh, like Rahab, how you can save anyone whether it's prostitute or drunk or, or you know, somebody who cheats on their family or, or, or somebody who, who does drugs or somebody who continually lies or, or whatever it is, Lord, that you can save anyone and you can make them white as snow, that you take away all those sins. We thank you for that. We pray that we, we feel that cleansing that goes through our life when you, when you forgive us for sin, that when we come to you and say that we are sorry, that we feel that cleansing nature that you have, the forgiveness that you have for us, and that you can take us and and mold us and and make us into something completely different that we never thought of, like Rahab being in the line of Christ of all things because you made her pure, just like you can make us pure. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may He forgive you for whatever sin that you have in your life. And may He be gracious to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You guys have a great week.